I will be reading from Luke 1 uh, through verses 1 and 4. Many have undertaken to don or drawn up an account accounted of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were happen happened down um, to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and the servants of the world or word with the mind uh, since I myself and carefully uh, investigated everything from the beginning to I decided to write and orderly account for you most excellent uh, Theopolis so that you may know the certain of the things that you have been taught. And what can we do for God? And, and I know that for myself, this time is always a time of uh, reflection for me. Uh, September is because I think, all right, I got distracted by X, Y, or Z this last year spiritually, and I want to get back on track, and now is the time that I recommit myself to be able to do that. And so that's, a, that's always a refreshing and exciting time for me. Uh, it's a time also that the life groups are starting up, and those are groups that meet in the homes after a couple times a month after our assembly here. And the whole point is for us to sit around the table and talk about, okay, what did the lesson, how does this lesson impact me? And how do I go forward applying this lesson and, um, and really making it something that I internalize and I become more of what God wants me to be? And so if that's something that's a great, life groups are something that's great to participate because it, it gets us across the table from, from people. Food's always good. But it's great to, uh, to, to just uh, to, to reflect and think about what God really wants for, for you and me to be. And life groups allow us to do that. And that fellowship helps facilitate that. Um, the next while, uh, what we're going to do, we spent some time this last year, this last summer, talking about um, some spiritual disciplines that bring us closer to God. Uh, we talked about uh, appointing elders before, and, and Carl was appointed uh, from that process. And uh, a few years ago, if we go back, we, we, did, we did Romans before that. And the first year that I was here, we uh, went through the book of Mark, uh, just the story of Jesus. And I believe that every three years or so, maybe more, it's important to say, all right, we're just going to go through some teachings of Jesus, nothing else, very simply go through the teachings of Jesus again. Because that is really why we're here, isn't it? Because Jesus came and he changed everything. And so we're going to take some time this fall and and probably into the spring going through the book of Luke. There's a lot of stuff in Luke that is not in the book of Mark and that we, we haven't been through at all yet. 
So this is uh, exciting for me because that is maybe some of my favorite things to do to teach through and to preach through is when we just take a gospel and say, all right, here it is, and we're going to start and we're going to go through. Now, Michael just led, uh, read what the first few verses of Luke talk about. And what we get out of that is we know that Luke was a physician that became a Christian somewhere along the line that traveled around with Paul and was part of the ministry that, that Paul was involved with. And some of the things that he says here in the first part of his letters, his, his gospel that he writes here, and gospel, you know what gospel means? It means the good news. That's right. That's what it was. And that's been translated into gospel, which doesn't help us understand that. But the original people reading this would have understood that this is the good news of Jesus. That's, that's what it meant. And so he, he talks about these things have been fulfilled and believed among us. And I investigated them. I wrote an orderly account of everything that I have investigated. And I'm writing this for the purpose. This is not just an, an academic exercise so that I can write down what, what I, I've learned and that I find interesting. But I'm writing this down, Theophilus. And how many of you know who Theophilus is? Anybody? Okay. I did a 25-page research paper on who Theophilus was once. And you know what the result is? No one has any idea. That's it. I could have saved a lot of paper on, on that one. But this is, is common. Theophilus could be a government official is trying to figure out what Christianity is about. He may have been, because writings were very expensive to produce, he may have been the one that paid for Luke to be able to write this down, and, and this is part of a dedication. But his point of what he's writing here is, I'm writing this so that you know the certainty of the things that you, you've been taught. I'm writing this as good history, as good facts, because this is going to change your life, and I want you to be sure of the facts. Is it, you think in, in our world, do, when I say, hey, I read this on the internet, does that give you some credibility about what I just said? If I say, I saw this on TV, do you say, oh, well, it must be true then, right? Well, the same is true in, in Jesus' day as, as rumors um, travel around. There's all sorts of rumors about who Jesus was and, and what he really did. And Luke's point is saying, in, in my own words, I'm an educated man. I interviewed people face to face and I wrote down exactly good history of what happened with Jesus. And I want you to know about it. And here it is. And I get the sense, as Luke is writing here, that Luke is, again, not writing just good history, but he's writing to convince. He's writing to transform. There's a phrase I've used that I saw a while back, and I've used it a few times through the last while. I used it during Lyle and Victoria's wedding uh, last yesterday evening. But the phrase, if you want someone to build a boat, teach them to love the sea. Okay, the idea is, is that someone can sit down with me and say, all right, Chris, I want you to, to build a boat, and you need to get on it, and you need to do this. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, fine, I'll build a boat, I'll do it. But my heart is really never in it, and I really don't put much effort into it. But if someone, and, and my wife did this for me, really, because the, the second time that I ever saw the open ocean is when I got on the plane to go to Italy. I had been a landlocked boy almost my entire life. And I remember going to the sea, during some of the first times that I was there in Italy, and my roommate was from Kentucky, so he didn't help at all. And we went to the sea, the Mediterranean there, there's a beach, and we stood there and we looked around, and we thought, what on earth are we supposed to do now? And we sat down, we built a sandcastle, and he couldn't swim, at least I could swim, he couldn't swim at all. 
Um, but we walked out into the, the water there for a while. We stood around. And it was like, what on earth is this about? Why on earth do people like this? I cannot figure this out. I do not get it. Because there was not somebody to teach me to love the sea. But as time went on, I started getting to know this girl named Sylvia. And we hung out. And we would go with groups of people down to the, to the sea. And we'd go to the beach. And we'd go out and swim and around rocks. And all of a sudden, I started seeing fish. I started appreciating the scent of the air, the salt, all of that. And you know what happened? It was amazing. I started developing a love for the sea that I was completely oblivious to beforehand. And a few times, like uh, Sylvia and I, for our 15th anniversary, went to Mexico, went to the sea, and I loved it. I loved the atmosphere. I loved what snorkeling around and seeing fish, and, and there was a lot of things I loved about it. And if someone tried to convince me to build a boat right now, it would be a whole lot easier than it would have been a number of years ago because people have taught me to love the sea. And I believe the same is true in our spiritual walk. Let me give you an example. I think there's a lot of us can, can tell, a, if I sat down with you, you could tell me right and wrong. I believe if we go outside the doors of this building, we go out into the community, if I go to my neighbors or you go to your neighbors and say, tell me, about right and wrong. Is this right? Is that right? Is this wrong? That wrong? That most of the people around us would have a fairly good sense of right and wrong. It's definitely skewed if, if you don't know God and you're not in touch with Him. But, but you, know, you have a sense of right and wrong. But here's what happens. Is that if people really do not love Jesus and His message and His kingdom then it really, there's really no reason for us to act on doing right or wrong or making any type of transformation or difference in our life. We know what's right, but we're going to do what we want anyway because so what? I don't have a love for Jesus or his kingdom. But what happens is when we go through the book of Luke or we go through any of these gospels, I think what it does for us is it teaches us to love Jesus and love his kingdom. And when we come in contact with his words, we realize, wait a minute here, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than just, just deciding that I'm going to do what's right just because I think that's probably right. But I'm going to do this because I'm part of something much greater. I'm part of Jesus' kingdom that is getting into the world, that is transforming people, that is, that is snatching people out of destruction, that is healing hurt, that is completely transforming eternity. And I am, because I love that so much and because I love that so deeply, I am willing to make all sorts of transformations and changes in my life and there's no way that I want to do anything to damage that or, or hamper that. Do you see the difference there? And so going through the gospel teaches us to love Jesus and his message and his kingdom that he's brought to the world. And I hope that's what we can accomplish more and more here in the next months. So let's go to Luke. Let's continue on. Now, the first few chapters of Luke are always interesting for me, and, and we're going to go through them quickly. But Luke is the only one that includes some of like the story of Jesus when he is a child. Or, but Luke includes a lot more details of Jesus in the time leading up before Jesus being born. And the only thing I can figure out of how on earth Luke knows that stuff is because he interviewed people that were there. That's what he said he did. And the Holy Spirit carried him along and, and, and allowed him to write all this down and empowered him to write this down. But we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to see an amazing story here. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. 
His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And understand, this wasn't something that the priest did all the time. It said he was chosen by lot. And as I understand, during the time or a life of a priest, they probably had the opportunity to do this two or three times in their entire life. Okay, so he goes in there, and he's burning this incense, and the worshipers are outside, and they're in the presence of God, as they understood it, and they are, they're praying while, while Zechariah is in burning this incense inside the temple. And when the time for burning the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so he's told here, you're going to have a son. Biologically impossible, but God's going to make it happen. And this son is going to bring people back to God. That's what he's going to do. What would you feel if that's what you were told. You had an angel appear to you and say, you're going to have a son that is going to turn people's hearts back to God and is going to prepare the way for the great one that's going to come, that all the prophets talked about. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well long in years. Is there a proof that you can give me? Can you give me a sign? Is there something you can do to help me understand this a little better? In verse 19 it says, The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When they came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Amazing story here. And the time before this, understand that from the time that the Old Testament was finished, there's about 400 years of silence. A long time. Think about what was happening right here 400 years ago. It's a pretty different world, wasn't it? Yeah, quite different. Lewis and Clark weren't going to come for a long time still. And so there's 400 years that go by, approximately, where there's just, it's just quiet. And all of a sudden, here Zechariah is serving in the temple, and this angel appears to him and says, All right, Zechariah, it's time. And you're going to have a son that's going to pave the way for the great king that we're all waiting for. Get ready. This is exciting. And this is just a tip. You can see that God is getting excited more and more as the moment goes along. But I look at this story and I think, wow, here is Zechariah. And what we understand is he is upright. He is righteous. He is faithful. He's a good dude. And he questions Gabriel. says, how is this possible? Can you relate to that a little bit? 
Yeah, I sure can. I can relate to this. Someone, an angel appearing to me, telling me something that was biologically impossible and questioning just a little bit. And why? And so Zechariah finds himself in a spot where from, he can't speak, and he's not able to until John the Baptist is born. We'll talk about that here in the week, next week. But go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look at this quickly, because I think there's a concept here that is very, very important. And it's important to understand that God is not is not sitting up there in heaven and Zechariah says, well, God, uh, please help me understand. No, here's the lightning bolt. Here's great punishment. Never, ever do that again. That, that doesn't seem to be where God is at here. But look at chapter Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, I'll start in reading in verse 8. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so understand here, what is happening with Zechariah is God is just gently giving him some discipline to help him understand, Zechariah, never doubt what's possible with me. (laughs) And you're going to see it happen. And then you'll be able to speak again. And your silence I'm going to use to teach you something, but I'm going to teach everybody else through this as well. And so I imagine there was some quiet moments around Zechariah's house for the next little while. Elizabeth and Zechariah weren't able to communicate very well, had to learn to write, had to learn to sign, all that kind of thing. But there's great stuff that comes out of it. In the meantime, in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be called great. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary? answered the angel, since I am a virgin. Okay? Decent question here. She asks the question just like Zechariah does. Now, now, say what? How's this going to work again? Look at verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One will be born, will be called, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. In other words, let biology do its thing, whatever. I can do much greater stuff than all of that. And look at Mary, what she says. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary's got a pretty good attitude, especially for someone that was 12 to 15 years old. Now, when I first heard that, that Mary would have been, according to the culture, probably 12 to 15 years old, I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute here. That's pretty young, really young. But look at her response. Her response is, if this is what God wants for me, then I'm in. 
I'll do it. I'm good to go with that. And she provides an example, and Zechariah provides an example for us in how to approach God. We're going to come back to that here in just a second. You notice here there's several things that come up about Jesus. Okay? It says that as Gabriel the angel, and Gabriel's a messenger angel that you see him different times in Scripture. It says that Jesus is going to be called great. He's the son of the Most High. He's going to take the throne of his father David. He's going to reign over Jacob or reign over Israel forever. And he is going to be born through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what all of this is? Every one of those things, when you look back at the prophets of the Old Testament, they said, someone is going to come who is going to be great, who is going to make everything right, who is going to bring a kingdom that is greater than anything we've ever seen before, and this is the type of stuff that he's going to look like. This is who he's going to be. And so as Mary is told all of this stuff by the angel, she understands being someone who is highly favored, being someone who is faithful. She understands exactly what this angel is telling her. The king that has been spoken about for thousands of years is coming. And he's going to come right here in my midst. There is a lot of powerful stuff. We'll continue with this. We're just scratching the surface. And this is going to get better as we go along. But Mary's phrase impacts me quite a bit when I I think about it and I look at it. Let it be to me according to your word. Whatever you want, God, I'm in. And I'm I'm going to do it. What a tremendous example for all of us as we are people that are working to follow God and to be part of his kingdom. In Jesus' day, if you looked around the landscape of of the world that he lived in, what you saw is there was a religious establishment that had become so traditionalized that people could hear the message of God and understand nothing and feel nothing, and be changed for nothing. Because they hear this message and they think, huh, okay. And there were so many rules put into place, it was so hard to people, for people to come into the community of God. And you see this with, with a, one of the stories of Jesus. He goes to the temple, and before he can get into the temple, there's buying and selling in the marketplace. And, oh, look, your, your sheep that you brought is not good enough. You need to buy this one. Oh, by the way, it's five times as much. I don't care what you do with that sheep, but we don't want that sheep in here. And people turn around and walk away. And there's so much legalism that there's so many people are turned off and, and nothing touches their hearts. You have people that are philosophers that are running around in, in the world of Jesus and they have all sorts of great ideas about what life should be like about where we came from, about what we should be doing in life. But just like all sorts of good ideas, you know, there's all sorts of good ideas that I have that I don't do. Yeah? You understand what I mean? I know that I should eat salad several times a day. You know? My, my sister-in-law's fiancé says, I don't trust salad. Anything that stays outside all night, I don't trust that. You know, who knows what happens to that stuff? You know? Scary. That's his way of not eating salad. I have all sorts of good ideas about what I should do in life. But I don't do a lot of things because there's not conviction that really changes me to do that. So these philosophers would do. They'd run around, they'd talk about what people should do. You should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And you read some of their work, it was pretty evident that they weren't doing it themselves. They just like to talk about what should happen. Now, there, there's plenty of that in Jesus' world. There's, you had the Romans that were, some were, were so 
entrenched in their paganism, but it was this manipulation of the gods. If I give this sacrifice, maybe that god will leave me alone, or maybe he'll bless me, or maybe I can curse this guy over here. And, and that sort of thing could happen. A lot of Romans, by the definition of the terms of that day, were pretty secular from the perspective of they just went along their life, they did their thing, and they didn't really care much about spiritual life at all or world whatever. They just did their thing. They were, they were wealthy, they had all they needed. There was a, Rome as a city was over a million people. And the next city in the Western world that became that large wasn't until in the Industrial Revolution in London. It, it was unbelievable how just massive, wealthy city it was. Just people just comfortable, relaxed, whatever. You have this terrible economic disparity. There's a lot of people that are slaves that are running around that are working for people that have money and the people that have money don't want to work so they pay somebody else to do this. This huge disparity. There's all sorts of oppression. There's all sorts of terrible things happening in the world of Jesus. Sound a little bit familiar maybe? Just a little bit? Maybe not so different than our world in some ways. In the middle of all of this, in the middle of all of this mess of a world, here comes John the Baptist, and here comes Jesus. And they speak the message of God in such a way that it touches people's hearts. And they say, hmm, I choose to transform, and I choose to be different, and I choose to be healed, and I choose this because this is different than anything I have ever heard before. And I'm on. And I'm on board, and I choose to be part of the kingdom of God that's going to last forever. Pretty powerful stuff. And the reason why is because they heard the message of Jesus, they saw the miracles, they saw his compassion. And when Jesus said, it's time for you to build a boat, they were willing to do that because they learned to love him and his kingdom. And that's my prayer as we go through this, through Luke in the next while, is that it really touches our hearts, it touches our souls, and it helps transform us because we realize that the message of Jesus is better, it is good news. It is better than anything else out there. And all the distractions and everything else we have in the world, nothing is worth not putting Jesus number one in our life every day. And when we do that, the peace that we find, the transformation that we find, the joy that we find leading us into eternity is beyond what you and I can ever put into words. And that's my hope and prayer as we walk through this together, walk through the stories of, of Jesus coming up as Luke gives them to us, is that we be people that really learn to love Jesus and his kingdom, and it transforms us to be everything that God wants us to be. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back. The elders are back there and would love to pray with you.